0: So, Mark. Yes. To promote this week's movie, its stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel did an episode of the web series Cinemash, which was, of course, exclusive to Microsoft Zoom.
1: Oh, what a oh god! <laughs> what a terrible combination of words. Ah, uh, <laughs> I. I <laughs> My brain's melting out of my ears. (laughs) Flashbacks,
0: horror, terror. Oh. I know we have some younger listeners. So for people for whom this has never existed, the Zune was Microsoft's answer to the iPod.
1: Did you know anyone with a Zune?
0: No, I don't know anybody who knows anybody who had a
1: Zune. I, my best friend growing up, had a Zune. What? Yeah, I have I have listened to music on a Zune. How was it? I mean, literally the same. It's not a <laughs> right. it's not a sophisticated piece of technology, to be honest.
0: I did have a a different third part, like a third party MP3 player, for a long time before I bought my first iPod. I don't even remember what the company was, but it was this like it was horizontally oriented. It had this tiny little screen. Basically, you could see enough to choose music. Yeah. Which, you know, worked fine for me. My first
1: MP3 player was like a Tamagotchi looking thing before I got my iPod Nano or Mini. No, I started with the Mini. It's like the iPod, but smaller. Yeah. Uh, What was your first iPod?
0: My first iPod. um, By that point, the iPod touch had come out. So when I bought it, it was called the iPod Classic. But if I had bought it like two years earlier, it would have been called an iPod video. Oh, I remember those. Wow. Yeah. So it looked like the normal iPod, but it could play video on it. It had a color screen. Zoom. Which meant that I could download and watch strong bad emails on it.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. Zoom exclusive. Was it like a podcast or did the Zoom evolve to video technology?
0: No, it's a video thing. It's actually, it is a bizarre Video that I will post on our social media. It's Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel as the characters from Sid and Nancy, the Sid Vicious movie from the eighties. It's okay. quite strange.
1: That sounds so weird. Does he hit JGL record? JGL plays
0: <laughs> JGL plays Nancy, <laughs> and Zoe Deschanel plays Sid Vicious. They have some pretty bad wigs. Like I said, it is a strange thing to watch, but it's kind of worth checking out.
1: All right, I think I might have to watch it.
0: I will send it to you and I'll post it on our social media. Anyway, my question is, from that strange era of the pivot to video, do you have like a favorite weird web video? Like, I'm not talking about like the Atlantic Grape Lady, like nothing that was like massive. Like what's your sort of niche beloved video?
1: I think it was pretty popular. But in high school, the thing me and my friends were most obsessed with was the most popular girls in school. Have you ever watched that? Oh, yeah.
0: I think I've seen some of it.
1: I can still do most of the first episode word for word from how often I watched it. And I will say, it's still pretty funny. I rewatched it. If you haven't heard of The Most Popular Girls in School, it is a bunch of stop-motion Barbies who are bitchy high school teenagers, essentially, and it's very, it's very straight. I would check it out if you haven't seen it. It's very weird.
0: The stuff that my friends and I were really into were the film cow videos.
1: Unsurprising.
0: These are the people who made like, yeah, Charlie the Unicorn, Llamas with Hats, that kind of stuff. We liked a lot of the more obscure ones. Like I was really into marshmallow people about some little marshmallow dudes who love murdering people.
1: You were also really into Tammy the T-Rex or something. It's The episode is called Dinosaur Phone Call. Dinosaur phone call. You showed me dinosaur phone call multiple times in college, and it yeah, is—you know—it's good every time. It's very funny. <laughs> is that the one that jokes about Sierra Mist and how no one likes to drink Sierra Mist? Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. It's this. It's this dinosaur who shows up uninvited <laughs> to someone's home and insists on being let in. It's like, oh, come on! Like I picked up soda and everything. And like, what'd you get, Sierra Mist? <laughs>
1: That is the joke I remember most from that video.
0: Yeah. Good days in the age of cheap animation.
1: It was a good time for small creators. That first wave of YouTube.
0: Right. Before it had been so aggressively monetized.
1: Yeah, because it wasn't even... This is still pre-ad. Or if they had an ad, it was a banner at the bottom. What a time. I don't think YouTube was paying creators yet. Were any of them making money off of this? I guess if they were selling merch... Yeah, can you buy film cow that merch? That
0: the big thing. I bet you can. Let's find out. Uh, okay, we got shop
1: <laughs> filmcow dot. By Etsy okay, filmcow so- dot com slash merchandise. It's mostly um, pins, it seems. Yeah, marshmallow people.
0: Hey, I
1: don't know if these. What are these? Love the marshmallow people. Oh, it's just the designs, and then you you choose the design, and then you can basically choose which apparel you want it on.
0: Which is the classic way that so many web stores ran, especially then.
1: You can get the otter isn't working on a t shirt.
0: I mean, I do like that.
1: These are some honestly very funny quotes. Even with cake, I feel nothing. Wow. Did
0: you ever watch The Magical Adventures of Horseman?
1: I don't think so. If I did, it was long enough ago that I remember zero things from it.
0: That was another one of theirs that I eerily anticipated Bojack Horseman.
1: I have to say. These videos and this movie are really just like two very different aspects of the aesthetic of the era, but they are both perfect encapsulations of it.
0: I could not believe I was reading, there was like a lot of coverage of the fashion of this movie when it came out. And I was reading interviews with the costume designer where they're like, yeah, I was really trying to go for like, you know, a distinct but like timeless look, especially for Summer's character. And I was like, well, you failed because she looks like she's from 2009.
1: But it's not the worst 2009 clothes, but it's still very distinct. And you can tell exactly when this movie was made based off of the costumes alone.
0: Right. And of course, this movie became like enough of a hit that like in its own way, it wasn't aesthetic that people then were mimicking.
1: Right. Like it probably popularized some of Summer's fashion after the movie came out because people were really into this oh, definitely so in a way i guess by appealing broadly enough it then influenced fashion in a way that makes it look of an era
0: yeah that costuming is maybe a victim of its own success
1: i remember this movie is definitely an impetus of how many aspects of what was considered hipster back then moved into basically the mainstream
0: i mean from not just the fashion but also like the soundtrack of this movie yeah just the vibe. <laughs> yeah. We should just start this episode because oh, we're just yeah. openly talking no, about now. No, we're just talking about shout the shout out movie. to the YouTube of 15 years ago, which was great. Oh
1: God, that is so long ago. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, I'm gay, and apparently I am old. And
0: I'm Will, and i ginger. And I've known I'm old because I teach the youths. Uh, this is a podcast where we investigate the least important question facing the world today. Does... Hollywood romance actually make any sense.
1: And are these people actually dateable or even likable?
0: It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation, or if it is non-linear, we will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are looking at Mark Webb's 2009 Sundance hit 500 Days of Summer. Or rather, parentheses, 500, close parentheses, Days of Summer.
1: I don't really get that styling. I guess it's just like you could call the movie Days of Summer and then some song titles have those parentheses that are just part of the title but kind of not maybe I don't know.
0: They have said that it is specifically meant to like evoke song titles. Oh, wow. I guess they it worked. <laughs> yeah. And like music plays a big role in the movie and I get that. I also kind of think it reminds me a little bit of those title cards before each sequence.
1: Yeah. Have I told you that I have some coworkers that are 22 and I'm now realizing that they were like eight when this movie came out.
0: I mean, you haven't told me that, but that is how time works.
1: I know, but it's so weird being the oldest person on your team. I gotta say,
0: you're you're not older. You're just you're just the wisest. <laughs> More,
1: I'm aged like a fine cheese. You have life
0: experience.
1: I mean, that's true.
0: The expectation is that you will dispense understanding and wisdom to these young people to help guide them as they mature.
1: Well, that expectation isn't working because I'm mostly dispensing judgment and sass at work.
0: You're a mentor figure, Mark.
1: Oh God, no. No one should look up to me. (laughs) Maybe my stunt career, but not this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I was watching this movie and I just like let the credits roll at the end. And all of a sudden I'm like watching and I say, stunts by Mark Schaefer spelled the same way.
1: I did not notice that. Will pointed it out to me. I have to look. It was this so thrilling. Up.
0: I started this movie pretty late at night, and so when it was ending, I was like, "All right, we're done. I can go to bed." But I like had not seized the willpower to get myself off the couch, and then Mark appeared before me.
1: Wait, what? Oh, this is weird. His professional name is spelled with a C, but he was born without the C in his last name. Uh, in Schaefer, M A R C. His IMDb page is S C H A F F E R, and then the IMDb. Like bio starts, Mark Schaefer was born on August 9, 1967 as Mark Schaefer without a C in Schaefer, which is how I spell it.
0: That's so weird because he is credited in this movie without the C.
1: I wonder if it just got misspelled in some credits because I have people misspell my name in emails sent to Mark with a C included in the email address.
0: It's always weird when people do that, when they have to spell your name right to get the email. I don't understand it. Students do it all the time.
1: And then he was credited in other movies as Mark with a K, Schaefer with no C. Who is this man? I must meet him.
0: (laughs) Who is this man? Oh, he was Mackenzie Crook's stunt double in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He was credited in this movie as Mark Schaefer without the C.
1: But the following year, he was credited with the C. Sorry, this is
0: really not that important, but it's very funny. So 500 days of summer. Premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in 2009. It was picked up by Fox Searchlight. Opened limited on July 17th, 2009. Went wide on August 7th. Did you see this movie in 2009?
1: I did not. This was the first time I have seen this
0: movie. It was also the first time I had seen this movie. I remember
1: thinking it is a movie I should watch at the time based off of my friend's reaction. But I just never did.
0: I'm pretty sure my sister tried to show it to me at one point and I fell asleep that tracks what did you think of it i think there's some stuff in it that's interesting but it ultimately doesn't come together for me
1: that's kind of how i felt i think i'm a bit more positive on it than you are and i think that the reputation of the movie did not match up with my takeaways I kind of got the vision the director was going for rather than what my friends were saying about it.
0: Okay, so why don't you talk about that some more?
1: So the reputation of this movie is it's the classic like manic pixie dream girl story and that, you support Tom throughout the movie. People I talk to really sympathize with Tom. and Summer was painted also as kind of this villain or heartless. But you watch the movie the whole time Tom is imagining things. And Summer is very clear about her intentions and her feelings. And I thought that she was pretty open. And then apparently that is the director's vision. And you are not supposed to put yourself in Tom's shoes, really.
0: Yeah. A lot of the legacy of this movie is discourse about exactly what you're talking about. Like, who the audience is supposed to empathize with and to what extent, and does Summer represent a Manic Pixie Dream Girl, or is the movie indicting Tom for seeing her as a Manic Pixie Dream Girl? I agree with you that the movie is definitely critiquing him for that, most clearly through the character of Allison, this other date that he goes on, where she's like well, this woman said repeatedly she didn't want to be in a relationship with you, so I don't know what your deal is. I think that, for me, like, I see where it's going for there. It doesn't quite click together for me. Part of that is, you know, I get the idea of, like, we're seeing her as Tom sees her, and we're, like, seeing her not as, like, a fully realized person. But that's part of the problem for me is, like, okay, so I'm being told that she is not this one-dimensional individual, but I'm not really seeing that. There also is the thing, and part of this is just, like, times have changed since 2009. I think especially in the early stages, the movie starts off on such a harsh note. Especially that opening disclaimer about how it's not based on anybody in real life, especially you, Jenny Beckman.
1: I forgot about that. That was bad.
0: Yeah, the movie starts off so aggressively that, to me, while I think it's shooting for some interesting commentary on, like, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl archetype and all of that, it builds a lot of hurdles for itself that I don't know it can totally clear.
1: Right. And the movie also does that, the summer effect or whatever it calls it, where she does have this magic power and it's not really something that is ascribed to her by Tom because it's done in narration. And so she is a manic pixie dream girl, but it's critiquing the man's reaction to her rather than the trope. You know what I mean? She is this fun, flirty woman who serves to make his life better and she doesn't have a ton of her own personality. But the movie is mostly, in Tom's character, critiquing men for wanting that, almost.
0: Right, for not going and looking for the other stuff that's going on. Right. Like, I mean, it is true that, like, we have no concept of her life beyond her interactions with him. And the movie points out that that's bad like especially when we get to that party and we realize like she has all these friends that he doesn't know anything about she has this life that he doesn't know about but it it feels a little bit disjointed that revelation
1: yeah cuz i think the point of the movie is or the point the movie's trying to make with that party scene is that tom thinks he's been let into her life and is earning his way in but he clearly hasn't because she hasn't introduced him to her friends she has basically just let him into her apartment which he assumed that no one had been into her apartment because he hadn't been in before but we don't actually know if she has people over i don't know if the movie knows whether summer is this mysterious aloof person or if that's just how tom sees it because she doesn't like him enough to actually open up her life to him
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think this is an interesting movie to talk about. And certainly a more thoughtful one than its sort of strongest critics or many of its supporters in 2009 really gave it credit for. Um, As I often do before these episodes, I read Caroline Sides' piece in the AV Club about it. And... She made a comparison that I really liked, which is 500 Days of Summer is rom-com fight club in that much of, like, how we talk about it is about, like, does it succeed on its terms and is it a failure that a bunch of people misinterpret it?
1: Oh, my God. That's so accurate.
0: Right? So I think the other weird piece of all this is, you know, so it's a hit out of Sundance. It gets a bunch of awards attention for writing. And the writers uh, are these guys, Scott Neustadter and Michael H. Weber. And Neustadter said it was based on a real relationship he had uh, when he was studying film at LSE. And he was, like, on the rebound from a girl he had been dating in New York before he went to London. And then he sees this girl and, like, decides he's obsessed with her. And eventually, like, they start a relationship kind of like this one where they're, like, hooking up and stuff. But she is, like, repeatedly very consistent that, like, she doesn't want to be in a relationship. And then it goes badly. And so then he, like, wrote this and has said it's, like, 75% based on that relationship. There's this really bizarre story that he tells though, in, like, all these interviews at the time the movie's coming out. He tells the story over and over again about how after he wrote the script, he, like, then had an encounter again with this woman and gave her the script. And then, like, later on, she contacted him and was like, hey, you know, I really like your script. I really related to the character of Tom. And he, whenever he tells the story, he's like... He comments about, like, how ironic it is that, like, she didn't recognize herself in the character of Summer. Like, she didn't even, like, realize who she was in the script. And I feel like it's, like, a weirder story about this guy who keeps telling this story.
1: That, yeah, I mean, that's not a good look for him. Right. If she didn't see herself in Summer because that just shows how much he was imagining things about her.
0: Right. Um, He also repeatedly refused to confirm whether or not the woman was actually named Jenny Beckman.
1: That's, it's such a, I don't like that opening.
0: I, I get how in 2009, it felt sort of like quirky and transgressive. Today, it just feels like bullying.
1: I think I would have not hated it as much if it didn't say bitch. Like if it just didn't end with bitch, it would feel funnier to me. But by adding that, it just adds a huge tone of misogyny instead of just heartbreak.
0: Yeah, and vindictive.
1: Yeah, which Tom is, so I guess that tracks.
0: Right. Yeah, no one would ever confirm whether or not the woman was named Jenny Beckman. There was, at the time, a Facebook account. And of course, this is like early days of Facebook, like not that long after it became possible for anybody to join Facebook. Because earlier you had needed a .edu email address. There was a Facebook account for a woman named Jenny Beckman, who was a fan of the film on Facebook and was friends with Mark Webb. And there was a lot of like online debate, like, is this a real person or is this a viral marketing thing?
1: Does the mystery live on? Did he ever say anything?
0: So at one point, Mark Webb said, like, Jenny Beckman is a real person. You can look her up on Facebook. And that's how people then found this Facebook account. They were like, well, this does kind of look like a viral marketing thing.
1: Yeah, In that situation, it definitely sounds more like, especially in the way the internet worked at that time.
0: Yeah.
1: I was just looking at the screenwriter's filmography. Scott. Oh my gosh, yes. New Saturn. We gotta talk about it. And I just, 500 Days of Summer, first movie, and then he wrote The Fault in Our Stars and Paper Towns, which super tracks. Based off of and this. And The Spectacular Now, and the sp- which is I, not
0: a John Green one. I but don't know anything it. about it.
1: But then he also wrote The Pink Panther 2 and The Disaster Artist, which are yeah. just two completely different movies from all the others and completely different from each other.
0: So um, he co-wrote all of those movies with his writing partner, Michael H. Weber. They are also currently attached to adapt another John Green novel, Looking for Alaska.
1: Didn't they just make the TV show of that? On to Hulu? Yes. <laughs> I feel like making a yes. movie,
0: it's a little soon. Look, you and I are on the same page. So my thing is, all of their filmography is about doomed romance. Okay? 500 Days of Summer. Spectacular now. Fault in Our Stars. Paper Towns, Looking for Alaska. The Disaster Artist, I will argue, also doomed romance. Either the bromance between Tommy and Greg, or we know that Tommy was at one time torn apart. <laughs>
1: The relationship between Tommy and making good movies is a doomed romance.
0: Right. So, our outlier then is the Pink Panther 2, which I think I have seen, but remember almost nothing about. I think
1: I've seen Um, the first one.
0: Yeah. Maybe that's the one that I saw.
1: I know Beyonce's in it.
0: Yeah. So, I was going to say that that is. Is Beyonce in the first one or the second one? I don't know. She was in the first first one. one.
1: Yeah. So, I've only seen the first one. Wow. Yeah. Okay. They have Alfred Molina, Andy Garcia, Lily Tomlin, and John
0: Cleese. I was going to say that The Pink Panther 2 was about the doomed romance between Beyonce and being in movies, but I guess she's not in it anyway.
1: She's also still in movies. And she she's in the,
0: like, she what? was in The Lion King. Like The Lion King? That doesn't count. I, yeah. Like, if you don't count The Lion King, which I do not, <laughs> then her most recent movie was another voice role in Epic. A movie that doesn't exist.
1: What is epic?
0: It's a blue sky movie. A studio that doesn't exist anymore. But it's it's supposed to be like a, like a fantasy adventure animated movie.
1: <laughs> okay. You know, from
0: the director of Robots.
1: Is that the one about snails?
0: No, that's Turbo. That's a DreamWorks movie. We're going to watch that.
1: Oh, <laughs> I did not realize that. That's not fun.
0: That's a movie that stars Ryan Reynolds as a snail who races. It's cars, but with snails. Yikes. If you want, we could also do some additional watching, and we can watch Turbo Fast, which is the Netflix TV series that spun off of DreamWorks Turbo. No, thank you. There's a TV show for every one of them.
1: Why? Who watches these things? Who? I don't know. Okay. All right. Anyway, back to 500 Days of Summer. I don't want to think about Turbo until I have to watch it.
0: All right. So this is... You mentioned the director. This is the directorial debut, or the feature directorial debut, of Mark Webb, who was primarily a music video director for the decade beforehand. This is his first movie, and I think quite arguably his best movie.
1: Let me go look at the list again. I need to...
0: Mark Webb is like the first guy who takes the now all-too-common trajectory of one indie hit, and then you're handed a giant franchise. Mm-hmm. Because off of 500 Days of Summer, he was hired to oversee The Amazing Spider-Man, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man reboot after Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 4 fell apart.
1: I liked the first one. Do I, did I? I don't know.
0: <laughs> so the thing is, like, I get why you hire him for that, because The Amazing Spider-Man is the first Spider-Man movie they made where he stays in high school for the whole movie. And that movie is at its best when it's just like characters interacting, doing stuff. It is at its worst when it's a Spider-Man movie. (laughs) But when it's, like, Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone and, like, Dennis Leary all, like, hanging out and interacting, it's, like, a good character movie. And I see how you could get that from this. Then The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is a giant mess, and his other movies since then have been kind of nothings. Like, I know some people who, like, gifted, whatever... Um, He is currently attached to the live-action remake of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs.
1: I just saw that, and that is... I mean, if there's one movie that Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs created animation as we know it, I feel like it should stay animated. Like, that one, in particular, is famous for being animated. So you and I agree on that? Also, who's clamoring for the Snow White one? Just watch the... It's on... Disney Plus. It's better than you remember.
0: It rules. It's so good. I think the only competitor in Mark Webb's filmography to this, I would say, maybe the best thing he's ever directed is the pilot of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend.
1: That I think might be better is better than this.
0: He's an executive producer on the whole run of that show. He directed, I think, two episodes, but he was like pretty heavily involved. And it makes sense coming out of directing music videos. He's like, okay, here's how we're gonna stage these songs. For television and I think did a great job there
1: yes because the songs have to hit hard in a pilot for people to buy into it right I should rewatch that it's a great pilot so I just I can't stop thinking about the fact that he's directing Snow White and the Seven doors anyway <laughs> we should probably
0: yeah. <laughs> I would love to know like some that. of the like more minor ones the the wild thing is like how much money those things make like you know Beauty and the Beast made over a billion dollars Aladdin, which, like, nobody remembers seeing, quietly crossed a billion dollars. The Lion King did it in nothing flat. That's the, the problem is they keep making it because people keep going to them. But I would love to know, like, what about the ones that they've just, like, kind of put to streaming? Like, how many people watched the remake of Lady and the Tramp?
1: There was a remake of Lady and the Tramp?
0: Yes, it was a launch movie on Disney+.
1: I mean, no one watched Mulan which was actually like expensive.
0: Yeah, I, so I did watch Mulan and it was uh, it it made me wish I were watching Crouching Tiger.
1: Yeah, I just there's better wuxia movies. I had some hopes for that one because they were not going the same direction of just remaking it, but in doing that they just made a mediocre movie is how I understand it.
0: It has some interesting ideas that it then subverts because it's not willing to be as complicated of a movie as it sets itself up to be.
1: That's honestly something that pisses me off the most. Anyway, 500 Days of Summer.
0: <laughs> yep, uh, 500 Days of Summer was uh, well-received. It cost, you know, just a couple mil to make, somewhere in the ballpark of like six. It grossed 32 in North America alone. So it's a, a, a very big like indie success.
1: I'm honestly surprised it didn't make more, because everyone knows this movie.
0: I think it did really well on DVD. Okay, that the would make sense. The, the DVD era. Um, it appeared on a lot of top 10 lists at the end of the year, including the National Board of Review. It won the Independent Spirit Award for Best Screenplay. Joseph Gordon-Levitt was also nominated for Best Male Lead, but lost to Jeff Bridges for Crazy Heart, who also won the Oscar. And it was nominated for Best Film at the Indie Spirits and lost to Precious, uh, which was also a Best Picture nominee.
1: Based on the novel Push by Sapphire, of course.
0: Of course. At the Golden Globes, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was nominated for Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy, but lost to Robert Downey Jr. in Sherlock Holmes.
1: That's a movie that exists.
0: Yeah, we should do that sometime.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I loved it when it came out, honestly.
0: I was so into it, and I have not seen it probably since 2012.
1: The the second one was bad. I remember not yeah. liking the second one.
0: The Game of Shadows. It was also nominated for Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy at the Golden Globes. Here are the nominees. 500 Days of Summer. It's Complicated. Julie and Julia. Nine. And the winner, The Hangover. Oh,
1: that movie was a hit.
0: <laughs> it was a gigantic
1: hit. I know. I liked it a lot when I watched it, but boy, does it have problematic elements.
0: I saw it once on a DVD at a friend's house, and I remember almost nothing.
1: I remember only the worst parts of it, honestly. So most of the movie. Yeah, probably. I remember being very attracted to Bradley Cooper. I just want to get another look at him. I do know there's someone I follow on Twitter that is not attracted to Bradley Cooper. She is only attracted to Jackson Maine.
0: Look, we all all love Jackson Maine. R.I.P. In Peace. Did you ever see the Vulture piece that was like how pop culture media would have covered the events of A Star is Born 2018?
1: No, that sounds so good.
0: It's so good. So it's all like Photoshop screenshots of like, like an upworthy story of like Jackson Maine just like brought this woman on stage, like watch her like blow the audience away like a clickbait headline about the shallow performance. They have like people headlines about like Jackson Maine checks into rehab.
1: Oh my god, I have to I have to read that one. I it will is, find it.
0: The important thing about Bradley Cooper for us to keep in mind right now is that this year, we will get to see him and Kate Blanchett run a circus in a Guillermo del Toro movie.
1: I forgot about that.
0: I didn't see that we had a release date. So December 3rd, Nightmare Alley comes out. We get to see Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett run a circus in a del Toro movie.
1: I did think for a second you were talking about Pinocchio.
0: <laughs> no. Which... But his is the... You know there are two Pinocchios in development.
1: Yes, I did know that.
0: There's Del Toro's Pinocchio, which is maybe, I don't know who's producing that, Universal maybe. And then there's Robert Zemeckis making a live-action remake of Disney's Pinocchio.
1: Oh, I think I had them reversed in my head, but this order makes much more sense. Yeah. Pinocchio seems so up Del Toro's alley in terms of the horror elements of it.
0: I'm going to run through, here's the cast and character names of Guillermo Del Toro's Nightmare Alley. Um... Bradley Cooper as Stan Carlisle, Kate Blanchett as Doctor Lilith Ritter, uh, that's hot. Willem Dafoe as Clem Hotley, Tony Collette as Zena Crumbine.
1: I gotta say, Willem Dafoe could have that name, and it would fit.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Richard Jenkins as Ezra Grindle, Ron Perlman as Bruno, Rooney Mara as Molly Kale, Tim Blake Nelson credited as Carney Boss. I hope this is good. Mary Steenburgen as Miss Harrington, David Strathairn as Pete Crumbine. So is he married to Tony Collette? Because I love that couple. Like this is fantastic.
1: I can't believe Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette, and Mary Steenburgen are in a movie together.
0: We are blessed in this year. Wow, five hundred days of summer. Did you know Chloe Grace Moretz's father was heir to a hosiery empire? <laughs> I did not. I was like, I wonder when she started getting into movies. And that was one of the first things I saw on her Wikipedia page, that like her father was heir to a hosiery empire. She is definitely a
1: child actress who would get more movies off of this one. Yeah, she's good in it. She has that exact level of cool, wisdom above her years vibe that I feel Hollywood eats up. Yeah. The same as the it's Dakota Famming.
0: Abigail Breslin, the the young blondes who preceded her.
1: Yes, <laughs> that paved the way for Chloe Grace Moritz.
0: Yeah, this is a couple of years before her star turn as Kaylee Hooper on 30 Rock.
1: I mean, if you want to talk about an iconic performance.
0: She's so good in it.
1: Pairing Alec Baldwin with Chloe Grace Moritz was masterful casting yeah, as rivals. I was going to say the Wii tennis scene. I just at home. What an era. I loved the Wii. I still have my Wii U. I still play Wii Sports.
0: The Wii was a great system. It was truly wild just how incredibly well that thing sold. Where, like, people who never bought another video game system before or after, like, everybody bought a Wii. Because it was a blast. Like, it was an incredible marketing campaign where, like, all the senior centers bought it too. But it was, was like, a good system in part because it was so accessible to people who had not played video games before. Like controllers are daunting to some people. And it's just like just hold this thing and swing it around.
1: The Wii was the first video game console that we bought as a second video game console. It was the first one that sure. my parents were like, we have the PlayStation, but we also need the Wii. And my mom would play Wii. It's classic example.
0: Yeah. She would play the Wii. The thing Sports. that really brought it home. Like I love seeing the Wii motes in their hands. But it was seeing the little Mii's on the screen where I was like, oh yes, we are here. It is 2009. Ah,
1: I love Mii's. The Mii Maker theme song is a jam. There's someone on TikTok that writes Wii Sports music for things like scuba diving or other activities that do not have Wii Sports music. It's always so fun.
0: We should probably talk about this movie though. Yes. I feel like we're having a lot of fun tangents here.
1: Yeah, but we should probably get into the romance of this movie.
0: This is a romance at its core, so there's a lot for us to talk about. So let's dive on in.
1: All right, Will, important question. Are we tackling this in film order or chronological order? Because I cannot remember what order things happened in the movie.
0: We are talking in chronological order of the relationship.
1: Okay, that is helpful. Yeah. One problem with talking about a non movie is... If you watch it even, like, two days ago, you often forget the order of scenes.
0: Oh, totally, yeah. But no, so we're going to work through chronologically, as always, broken down into five points to help us talk about what's important. So, point number one is our, our first meetings of these characters at work. I hear she's a bitch. Really? Yeah,
1: Patel tried to talk to her in the copy room. She's totally not happy. Maybe she was just in a hurry. And maybe she's an uppity better than everyone super skank.
0: is pretty hot so we have tom played by joseph gordon levitt right as he's starting to like emerge as one of the biggest stars of the turn of the last decade like this movie plays a big part in it
1: he is a failed architect currently working as a greeting card writer
0: greeting card comedy always funny to me
1: yeah it's a great choice for a movie and he works in media in some form
0: right yes gotta have that but like all the bits about how like You know, he's a hero because he wrote the like card that says, I love us on the front of it. And it was a big seller.
1: Every joke about greeting cards really lands in this movie for me.
0: It's always funny, right?
1: I will say what doesn't land for me, which we will get to later, is his weird speech about how greeting cards are inherently bad. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Greeting cards are responsible for the destruction of the culture. Yep. And that kind of thing is something that more Mark Webb than the writers but Neustadter, to an extent as well, talked about as being like, one of the things they're kind of doing in this movie is like, he is clearly over the top in so many things. And the idea is like, trying to find the humor in how intensely people sometimes feel feelings when they are young and in relationships.
1: Yeah, I do think the movie doesn't take those moments too seriously.
0: Right, which is on purpose.
1: It's just, we do feel feelings that strongly. And it's kind of funny that he then makes this grand speech about how evil greeting cards are, because I think the director and writers are aware that we will not find it as moving as some other speeches. But it's still kind of like, okay.
0: Right, so he works at the greeting card company, and his boss, Clark Gregg, has just hired a new assistant, Summer, played by Zoe Deschanel. And we are basically immediately introduced to her with a, like, string of misogynist invective From his friend slash co-worker.
1: Yeah, I don't like him.
0: Yeah, but again, it's a thing where, like, Tom immediately is like, okay, like, you said she's a skank, so she must be. And again, this is where, like, for me, the movie is just, like, starting off pretty aggressively and, like, building a wall higher and higher. Right. It's gonna have to climb for me to get fully on board.
1: I do think it's important to know that we know from the beginning that the relationship does not work out.
0: Yeah, we're introduced with him, like, feeling terribly and his, like, nine-year-old sister is called to bike in and stop him from smashing all their dishes.
1: Chloe Grace Moritz plays his sister, and it was not clear who she was at first, and I was very confused why a child was there, and I thought it was going to be a weird situation where they didn't explain why he was friends with a child.
0: I also spent a lot of this movie trying to figure out what city it was set in. You know, he's this failed architect and spends a lot of time, like, showing off, like, the different buildings and marveling at them, but I wasn't recognizing a lot of them, and... Early on, I was, like, assuming that we were in New York, and I was like, did she bike from New Jersey (laughs) to get to this place? It wasn't until I saw a bus ad for the Hollywood Bowl that I figured out they were in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, I assumed it was New York at first, too. L.A. makes more sense, but it makes even less sense that she biked there.
0: Right. Anyway, so Summer starts at work, and initially he's told that she is basically told that she is a jerk because she didn't want to go out with somebody.
1: And as a result... Tom shouldn't even try because she said no to another person.
0: So then anyway, they just kind of exist as co-workers. Is karaoke before or after they meet in the elevator? After. So then one day he's in the elevator just like being his aloof self and he's got his headphones on. And she comes in the elevator and recognizes that he's listening to The Smiths, which is a band that she likes.
1: And then he falls in love with her because <laughs> she likes The Smiths.
0: Yeah, she talked to him and the movie frames it as like that revelation led him to reframe how he perceived her. And he's immediately like madly in love with her.
1: Because he then has the moment where he is kind of just talking with her occasionally and then talks to his friends and says, she's awful. I don't like her. She's leading me on. And they ask why. And it says, because she said she had a good weekend. So he's immediately just like, so she's sleeping with every person in town.
0: Right, yeah, because she's like, yeah, my weekend was good. He took that to me and she was banging, Right. And like, maybe she was, but also like, <laughs> dude needs to chill out.
1: Yeah, but this brings us to karaoke.
0: Right. Um, here's the thing. Your workplace should not sponsor drunk karaoke.
1: No, it should not. Light drinking only at work functions. Because it sounds like it's an official work function. Coworkers can go do drunk karaoke after work together. Yeah, but but that should not, not be wants. an open bar.
0: So anyway, at karaoke, they start chatting some more. He's definitely flirting with her. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I think, is doing a great job of drunk acting.
1: The friend is not.
0: The thing that people miss about drunk acting is like, everyone's like, oh, I get to act drunk and be like blundering around. But the thing is that like drunk people are trying to convince you that they're not drunk. Yeah. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt does a really good job of like the focused intensity of like, right, I just need to concentrate on this one thing.
1: That is definitely the thing people miss, because when you are drunk, especially if you're not blackout, you are just very tuned into
0: one thing. Yeah, I think he does a really good job of that.
1: So they start talking, and they decide to hang out, essentially. And this brings us to point two.
0: Yeah, so point two is this period where they are not dating, but kind of are dating. Hmm. Smells delicious.
1: Oh, honey, that's because it is delicious. I made it myself.
0: <laughs> Bald eagle.
1: <laughs> Your favorite. hmm
0: <laughs> She, from the drop, actually at karaoke, was explaining the fact that she doesn't have a boyfriend and doesn't want a boyfriend. She doesn't want the sense that she belongs to anybody and just sort of wants to be free to do whatever she wants. She's like, we're in our 20s. We should just be living our lives. He's trying to make the case, like, what if you meet, like, the person for you? Then, like, you gotta be with them, right? And she's like, that's not a thing. Grow up. So it's the this period where, like, he very much wants to be in a relationship with her. And she's like, let's have a good time. Like, when she grabs him and aggressively makes out with him at the at work. Inappropriate workplace conduct. Very much so. So this is this whole very strange period where he is, like, trying to establish that they are in a relationship. She says several times that she does not want to be in a relationship It is a thing where I do think she has some responsibility in all of this to be like, we are clearly not on the same page and to not just keep doing what she wants.
1: Yes, they are both bad people in some ways. Because she definitely could... She's definitely not doing enough to make it clear that she doesn't want a relationship. And in a way, if she realizes that this is affecting him differently than she wants, she should probably tone it down.
0: Right, exactly. That's part of what makes this such a strange relationship to talk about too especially given the way that like the discourse has talked about it it's not that that one of them is bad they're both bad
1: (laughs) yes they are both bad but this all leads to a head essentially where he tries to force her into admitting they're in a relationship she says no they have a fight and he leaves
0: they do have some exciting times before that like there's the uh The first time they have sex, which then turns into like a giant Hollow Notes dance number. Oh, I forgot about that. That's a pretty fun sequence.
1: It is. I like a lot of the interjections in this movie. Like the film when he's at the movie and they like insert him into bad parodies of French (laughs) movies and The Seventh Seal. That is very fun.
0: I think this movie is very well directed. Like a lot of the ideas that it's having, like especially the sequence where you have the two side-by-side images of how he expects the party to go and what's actually happening at that. I think that's really cleverly done. Like, Mark Webb is being bringing a lot of style that I think works really well.
1: This movie has a lot that I really like. It's just also got parts just that out I Just characters. I <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah, so they have their relationship. And we also get some scenes that are like juxtaposing the relationship. Like there's the time they go to Ikea and they're like flinging themselves through all the displays, having a great time, making out in the display beds at Ikea, which is weird. Yeah. And then we have the example of like the later Ikea trip when they are not getting along. And She doesn't hold his
1: hand. She's frustrated. She's kind of just, it seems like she just kind of has bad days where she doesn't really want to be with him. And... He takes it very personally, but I don't actually know if it's about him.
0: I mean, we because we don't know what else is going on in her life.
1: Right. I think the movie is trying to imply that she just has bad days outside of the relationship. But then because it's Tom, who is the most self-centered person in a movie I've seen in a while, he assumes everything is about him in Summer's life.
0: 2009 was really just like a time for quote-unquote nice guy architects searching desperately for the one- in visual media wasn't it oh is this when?
1: Is this the same year how i met your mother came out
0: no this is like season four of how i met your mother so like as it's becoming oh. a juggernaut
1: i forgot that show was so old
0: yeah it started in 2005
1: oh my god so this brings us to where they break up which is point two three point three point three i think we should stop seeing each other i mean this thing what are we doing i mean is this normal
0: no, I, I don't know. I don't care. I'm happy. Aren't you happy? You're happy? You're not?
1: Well, all we do is argue.
0: That is bullshit. And all told, you know, while the story of his relationship to varying degrees with Summer takes 500 days, they're together, whatever that means, for like a couple of months.
1: I think it's about half. Half of the 500 days are happy, but they also take a while to get together.
0: Right. That's the thing. It's six so it's maybe months like max. six months. Yeah. Yeah. During which he's constantly trying to get her to agree to like call them as people in a relationship. And she's resistant to it.
1: Yes. So then they break up. They
0: have this breakup. He handles it very poorly. Is this where he's smashing all the dishes?
1: Yeah, I think this is where he's smashing all the dishes. And then his friends set him up on a blind date to try and help him get over summer.
0: Yeah, with Allison the redhead, who seems great. He only talks about
1: summer the whole time.
0: And she is rightly pointing out like, wow, it sounds like this woman was very clear about what she wanted. Yeah. And he doesn't take that well. She wasn't in terms of her actions, but in her words, she was. Right.
1: And then he does drunk karaoke while sad. And I think Allison just leaves, right?
0: Yes, she does. Which is the right call.
1: Correct.
0: So he's just like in the doldrums. This is also when he gives his big speech about how the greeting card industry is lying to America and they should be ashamed of the work that they're doing. I love clark Gregg in this movie
1: i do too which
0: goes for me in basically every movie that clark Gregg is in but he's like this greeting card magnate and i love that he goes up to tom during this period and he's like hey tom like i know that like you've been pretty down like it's because summer left right i was like what are you talking about clark Gregg's like everybody knows that you've been dating summer so look we all have bad times and tom's like are you firing me he's like "No, no no i'm not firing you I want to put you on the grief cards so that you can channel some of those emotions that you're feeling. That
1: was so funny.
0: It's fantastic. Also, a nice little appearance by Yvette Nicole Brown
1: uh, as Summer's replacement. Yeah, just very casual in the background. Yeah. But this brings us to point four, where Tom is going to a wedding of a friend and takes a train to Santa Barbara.
0: It's like an out-of-town wedding for a coworker, Right.
1: Okay, what else you got? Whoa, whoa. No, I don't. You do. No, <laughs> I don't. Well, you do too. Oh, I definitely. <laughs> and your feet reek. <laughs> that one time. Every time. That one time. Uh, no, that one time, especially, but every time. The coworker who plays the judge on Bones.
0: Oh, so he's got another Chanel connection. Yeah,
1: extended Chanel connection. And while they're on the train. Or I guess I shouldn't say they. He's on the train. He walks down the aisle and he sees Summer and he tries to avoid her.
0: Which I don't know exactly how that plan is going to work because if she's also on this train, she is clearly also going to this wedding. So like, Which what's his plan here?
1: She is. So he sits, tries to avoid her, but she does see him. So she goes and sits with him and they get a coffee on the train. He's hesitant, but then realizes that he should be a big boy and talk to her and They start to have fun. Yeah.
0: It's all been like kind of awkward in part because of their different perceptions of what their relationship was. Where like at some point during the breakup period, he like sent her an email about something and she responded back like, oh, like, I'm glad. Like, I guess this means like you've decided we can be friends or there's that time they go to the diner and she says, I love these pancakes, tells him you're still my best friend. And he's like, this is clearly not what I want to hear.
1: Right. So he
0: leaves. But so, like, here on the train and at the wedding, they're, like, having a great time together, like, goofing off like they used to. They're dancing. They are seated at the kids' table and so are playing Duck, Duck, Goose while they're trying to have a conversation.
1: That was very fun.
0: But so they're having this, like, real flirty time.
1: They even dance together.
0: It feels like they walk right up to make an out. And then she invites him to a party at her place the following weekend.
1: And this is where you get the expectations and reality scene that we talked about that's very good.
0: Right. He thinks he's being invited to a party and like she's going to introduce him to all of her friends and like he's going to be fully in her life. They're going to be together.
1: But the reality is she doesn't really talk to him much. He is normal at the party, which I liked. Like he seems sad, but he also is putting on a good show. He isn't super weird. He makes funny jokes to her friends and stuff.
0: But then he's like sort of standing on his own at one point when he notices her showing off an engagement ring.
1: Yikes. Was she not wearing it? That's the thing is it's like, did it happen that week? I guess it may have. So she says,
0: she says yes, that it happened that week. Still, this is another circumstance where like, frankly, like, I don't know. She should have told him not to come to this thing. She should not have invited him to this thing.
1: Especially because she should have realized how flirty the vibe was at the wedding. And she was with someone else. So she definitely should not have. She should have known how Tom would handle this, knowing who Tom is.
0: In in the classic Reddit, am I the asshole framework, this is an everyone sucks here situation.
1: Is that a classic response? Yeah, so
0: in an am I the asshole on Reddit, people post these stories, like, trying to figure out, like, what's going on here? And users can vote on whether or not you are by submitting uh, YTA, you're the asshole, NTA, not the asshole, or ESH, everyone sucks here.
1: That's a very good system.
0: Yeah. And then, like, a bot tallies them up to make the official determinant
1: so at the party he sees the ring and this kind of makes him fully spiral i think this is actually where he makes the speech about the fake feelings maybe maybe doesn't really matter
0: i'm sure people on youtube have like made a chronological edit of this movie
1: but eventually he decides to turn his life around and pursue after he quits during the speech about how greeting cards are evil and he gets back into architecture
0: which actually winds up being a good thing for him
1: right it's a positive change it shows that you can actually grow from negative experiences in your life yay and he struggles to find a job because architects are struggling all the time based off of most media i have seen
0: but you know did, sorry did we talk about his meeting in the park
1: not yet because he's sh- in the park in his suit he's mid improving his life when he goes to his favorite spot in the park and runs into summer who was hoping she would see him there
0: And Summer's like, whoopsies, I invited you to a party right after I had gotten engaged. And he's like, yeah, what the heck? And she is telling him all about how, like, she met this guy. And it was like a totally fortuitous circumstance. He just walked up to her while she was reading. And she's really happy and (laughs) how that's great for her. And she's like, so I think it'll work out for you.
1: But she tries to do it in a nice way because he says, you proved to me that love is fake and I should give up. But she tells him, no, you were right. If coincidentally, I hadn't met him in a coffee shop while reading a book that he liked, we never would have met and I wouldn't be as happy. And he basically asks, well, why didn't that happen with me? And she was like, well, I guess I just didn't feel this way about you. Which sucks, but I think that's actually what he needed to hear.
0: Totally, yeah. And she's even saying, like, you know, when I think about that day, like, I think about, like, wow, Tom would, Tom would love this. And so then he goes to yet another interview at an architecture firm. Hey, you again? Yeah, I uh, was just
1: wondering if maybe after this, if, um, you
0: want to get some coffee or something?
1: Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sort of supposed to meet someone after
0: this. He runs into a pretty lady there who's also interviewing. They have some flirty banter. And then, before he goes into his interview, he decides to go back and ask her out. She waffles before she agrees. And he gets her name, which is... Autumn.
1: Gross. I didn't like that very much. But I get it.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. I was listening to a, a different podcast that wasn't talking about this movie, but was like went on a 500 Days of Summer tangent. And they were like, Okay, fine. Her name's Autumn. So then your next girlfriend's Winter. What are you going to do after that? Nobody's named Spring. (laughs) The answer is you date someone named April.
1: Yeah, and And then May.
0: Because you have May and and June, June but then you get to July. Well, you date a Julie and you kind of fumble it. All right. And then you date Augustus Gloop.
1: (laughs) Gross. So, Will, after watching all of this movie, do you find the romance of 500 Days of Summer believable?
0: I guess I do some of it. I mean, it's the situation of like, I don't like it, but I think people are sometimes dumb and cruel through thoughtlessness.
1: I think it actually is. It's not a zero. It's definitely not a zero. I think it's more believable than not believable. I think that there's definitely unbelievable elements to it. The intensity with which he feels feelings seems a little pushed to the extreme for effect. Because movies don't have to make things believable. And I think she would know what she was doing more than she seems to. But I think I would hope so. overall, it's fairly well done. So on a scale of 1 to yeah. 10, with 1 being the least and 10 being the most believable, where would you rate this one?
0: I can give this like a 7 or an 8.
1: I was thinking a 7, maybe an 8. Yeah, I'd pro- yeah I don't see why it shouldn't be an 8, to be
0: honest. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm feeling too. All right. Now, I think we know the answer, but do you think Tom and Summer are dateable?
1: I don't even know if we need to discuss this. We've made our feelings pretty clear, and the answer is no. E-S-H. Uh, do you think they would stay together? No, of course not. Well, they're not together. Right. If you did have to pick one person this movie to date, who would you choose?
0: Uh, Allison, the cute redhead who is telling Tom he's being a dummy.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think. I guess I would date Clark Gregg. He's actually a he's very kind- he's a very kind boss. We don't get a lot of kind bosses in movies, but in real life, a lot of bosses can be nice.
0: And he's got all that greeting card money.
1: (laughs) It does seem like a very prosperous firm.
0: Yeah, they have such a large bullpen. It is an aggressively large office.
1: Now that I work in an office, I realize how unrealistic movie offices are. Oh, totally. This is my first office job.
0: Now, Mark, should the film 500 Days of Summer be adapted into a stage musical?
1: I feel like you could do an interesting jukebox musical with this movie. Okay. I don't know if you would need to add original songs, but I feel you could incorporate the songs, add new ones. You don't have to stick to the movie soundtrack, but, you know, add songs that are relevant to the plot and have them sing it, and it could be interesting. I'm not saying it should be done, but I think it could be done.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know that I would say to adapt this one. I think that it's a movie that uses the techniques of film really well. Like the double scene. Yeah. To make that work on stage, you have to do it twice, which just doesn't have the same effect as watching it happen simultaneously. Or
1: you cast identical twins in each role.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah, so I just think, like, the best parts of this movie are the way that it uses cinema as a vehicle.
1: It could be interesting to actually, like, film it in advance and add a dreamlike element and project it behind the party mm-hmm. where you have people like walking through their ghosts in a way. That would be interesting. If you projected it onto mist.
0: All right. Doing some experimental theater here. Yeah.
1: You could do a lot on stage. With your
0: musical film adaptation.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't have any more to make it cool. I think that's about it. I think we have hit the 500th day of summer and we can move on to autumn ourselves.
0: All righty. So, Uh, I think that about does it for 500 days of summer. Next week, we will be observing our Independence Day by cracking open a book.
1: We are doing it, We're cracking open that book of secrets.
0: So head on over to Disney Plus or your DVD shelf and fire up National Treasure Book of Secrets, and we will be talking about its very believable (laughs) plot lines.
1: Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love, the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at LoveTheLovePod at gmail.com.
0: Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts, to help other people find the show.
1: Last question. What is the best piece of dating advice we got from 500 Days of Summer?
0: If someone wants to date you, and you don't want to date them, don't make out with them.
1: My advice is... It is good to be open with your intentions in a relationship, which the movie does support, but you also have to back it up with your actions.
0: All right. Well, there you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger.
1: And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye!